See that? Yes. I didn't get any desserts tonight, which is disappointing, but I will go scour the tables afterwards. There is uh, there is a clarity that comes with objectivity, and there can be a fog that goes with subjectivity. And I don't think that plays out any more than when you start to use, I think they're called emoticons or emojis. Is that right? Is that, a, is that the right terminology? When they text. I don't get them. People use them. I've got some to show you how it, it, it fogs up clarity when you use them. Now, this is a book all about how my life got recycled up and down. Now I'd like to take an hourglass and an airplane chair pointed with a pointy finger and tell you how I became the king of four small houses called Bell Cloud. Is that what that means? No, that's not what that means. But there is a subjectivity to those signs. You could take them one way, or you could take them the awesome way, which is to sing the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme song, which I don't want you to start doing right now. Next one. Hey, I just waved at you, and this is a ghost face. So here's my iPad. So call me maybe, I'm thinking. It's hard to googly eyes right at you, baby. But here's the pound sign, hashtag. So old school telephone me maybe, right? If you know the song, which is not my favorite song, but if you know the song, you know the lyrics that come from this. But it's subjective if you use those signs. If you go from objective clarity to subjective signs, it becomes difficult. Here's a text I got from Ryan Holly the other day. <laughs> you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me crazy smile when skies are cloudy with rain. You'll never know horse, pretend that's a deer, how much I want to kill your heart, so please don't take my sunshine away. Well, of course that's not what it means. Ryan Holly was expressing how much he cared for me with the song, You Are My Sunshine. But we can realize that when you enter and let subjectivity come into your discussions, it could go whatever way the author or the interpreter wants to take those signs. But when it comes to objectivity and clarity, which I believe we have in Scripture, there is one way and one truth for us to understand, and that's where we see the wisdom of God giving us a book. Because when God gives us a book, he doesn't leave it up to our subjective interpretation for what he's trying to say to us. He gives to us direct, concrete, objective language that we can know him, and by knowing that, be able to identify false teachings that come against us Anytime they are given to us. And that's what we have in our text. So if you haven't turned yet there already, turn to 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to learn what objectivity does for us. Because we are called, according to this text, to put everything to the test. Now think about that. Especially you as parents. Do you do that in your homes? Do you put everything to the test that you put in front of the eyes of your kids? I guess you should start with yourself. Do you monitor what's going on into your mind? Do you check it against what is the truth? Because we are commanded to put everything to the test. We can't be passive in our thinking. We must be active in watching over it. 1 John 4 tells us this, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, 
By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. This passage is telling us that we must be ready to test these certain spirits. Put them to test. Do not believe, which I think shows you how powerful belief is. Belief, when you really put your belief in an object, you act based off that belief. Belief and behavior, creed and conduct will always go hand in hand. So John is saying, don't be quick to just believe everything that comes our way. If you could just write down Ephesians chapter 4, verses I think 11 through 16, talks about the importance of the body of Christ and coming to the church because you need to hear sound doctrine coming from the pastors. Why? So that you are not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes your way. You need to have some objectivity, something that solidifies you, something that gives you the ability to identify what is false and allows you to hold on to what is true. And as if you notice, uh, He said, there are many false prophets who have gone out into the world. And if you don't believe John, maybe you will believe Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who are among you, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You know what he says? You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree will bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So, you will recognize them by their fruits. There is an objectivity to their wrongness, to their falsehood. You can point that out. You can see that in their lives. You just got to know the spirit of truth that we have here. So what I'm telling you is you must be ready to test. It's not just my job as the pastor to be able to refute sound doctrine, although Titus 1 tells me that's my job. You must be able to do the same as well as John is writing to this church to be able to test who is from the Spirit of God and who is from the false spirit. So if we want to be able to do that, let's put it down number one this way. Let's confess the objective truth of the Bible. We want to confess that. If you're going to be able to point out false teachers, you're going to be able to point out false teaching, you must have a standard to put it against. If not, we have no way to test what is really from God and what is not from God. We've got to confess the objective truth of the Spirit. Now, just a little background again for what we're doing here in 1 John. We had people around the church, maybe people who have left the church, remember chapter 2, they went out from us, who were now saying things and promoting doctrines that they were really saying were from God. Jesus, they say, of course he's great, of course he's good, but guess what? He wasn't really human. He appeared to be human, but he wasn't really human because all, all flesh is bad and we shouldn't care about the flesh. We should only care about the spirit, which allowed them to be able to do whatever they wanted with the flesh because it really didn't matter anyways. So over and over again in the Bible, you'll see that mindset kind of scamper in and then we have to have the apostles come and say, hey, your conduct It matters. The way you live, how you respond, it matters. And the truth that you believe matters as well. So we always need to make sure that we know the objective truth of scriptures. And this text tells us that we can know the spirit of God. Look at verse two. By this you know, definite, concrete, the spirit of God. Everyone who confesses 
that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. So remember that specific instance that these people are fighting against. They were attacking a, a certain doctrine about who Christ was. But then notice how it goes from specific to general. And every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. In verse 3, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So now it goes to general. So for you to be able to guard against false teaching, we've got to proclaim the Bible as direct, objective truth that we can understand that is going to teach us about Jesus Christ. Let's talk a little bit about Revelation. Okay, I've got a slide up here for you. When we talk about the Spirit of God, it's always best if we start with objectivity and then move to subjectivity, okay? Subjective experience. If I start with subjective experience, like everybody wants to today, they want to talk about how they feel with the Spirit of God and what the Spirit of God led them to do. That's always starting over here. Oh, I feel that the Spirit of God is saying this. That's not a good place to start. You're starting on shaky ground. But if I say I can go to the objective things that the Spirit gives me and then move towards those over there, well, now we have some hope. And every time that the Spirit is talked about in the Bible, look at that first one. When the Spirit communicates, he reveals truth about Jesus. Isn't that what our text tells us? You will be able to tell the spirit of truth, verse 6, versus the spirit of falsehood because the spirit of God will always be accurate about Jesus Christ. He will never lie about Christ because the spirit's job is to come and communicate truth about Jesus Christ. Two passages just for you to write down. I'll read them. John 15, verse 26. Write that, write that passage down. I'll read it to you. John 15, 26 says this, but when the helper comes, the spirit of God, whom I will send from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So that's the spirit's job. When he comes, he's going to help you. And how he's going to help you is he's going to communicate truth. He's going to reveal truth about me. Chapter 16 says the same thing. Verse 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So if you were here on the weekend as I was preaching, you think about what our job is as Christians is to glorify God and to glorify Christ and to shine the light on them. That's the spirit's job. That's what we're doing when we walk in the Spirit because the Spirit is consumed and concentrated on magnifying and glorifying Christ by speaking truth about him. So now I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, if you remember this from your homework, and take a look at what happened there to the Corinthians. You see, the Corinthian church was a church that was very consumed with the subjective experiences of the Spirit oh, I see the apostles and people getting baptized by the Spirit and speaking in tongues in the early books of the Bible. We want that experience, so that's what we're focusing on. And over and over again, especially through 12 through 14, the, the Corinthian church is really trying to get all these subjective experiences. I want to speak with these divine utterances. I want to do all these great things. So they would work themselves up into a frenzy, claiming to be under control of the Spirit. And then 1 Corinthians 12 says this. Look at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, things given by the Spirit, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led, here we go, astray to mute idols, however you were led. That's a great phrase. 
Every idol that you will ever come encounter with is a mute idol that does not speak, does not reveal any truth, which allows you to be able to establish whatever truth you want to follow. But if you follow God, he's a God who communicates and gives you the truth and gives you the authority that you must follow after. Look at verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. So the Corinthian church was getting so worked up and trying to get so these, these religious experiences that they would shout out phrases like, Jesus is accursed. Jesus is condemned to hell. Jesus deserves punishment. Well, no one ever speaking by the Spirit of God could ever say such a thing because the Spirit would never communicate error about Christ. Notice the rest of the verse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes and his job is to communicate truth about Christ. And he will never be vague. He will never be mystical. He will never be fuzzy. It will always be clear. It will always be concrete. And it will always direct us to the glory of Jesus Christ. And when we proclaim that the Bible is that objective truth, we now have a standard to test the false teachers that we've been instructed to test. One other passage. Turn to 2 Peter. I love this passage. 2 Peter uh, uh, 1. 2 Peter 1. Anybody ever sing the books of the Bible song when they turn to these? I'm singing it in my head right now. Yes or no? Raise your hand. Don't lie. Yeah, I see some of you out there. Here we go. 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21. Notice this, okay? Notice subjective experience, okay? Even a legitimate one. Peter says, for we don't want you to follow cleverly devised myths. So Peter's writing to people who were being taken away from the truth by something that's very clever, but it's a myth. When we know, uh, when we have made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice that was born to him, uh, to, the majestic, to his majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter's saying, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, I was there and I experienced this amazing event. You, I'm an eyewitness of it. I saw it. I had this, this great feeling in me. I saw everything. It was so real and so vivid. This experience is genuine. But he's not going to count that as the standard that everybody must use. Because verse, eight, verse 19 says this, And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawn and the morning star rises, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man, but, God's, but men spoke by God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So my experience, which I am going to say is valid, I saw this happen on the Mount of Transfiguration, is nothing compared to the objective word that you should pay attention to. And whenever I go from objectivity, I am not going to be led away by subjective feelings, experiences that can be misinterpreted. Objectivity will keep me clear. And that's how I know that if I follow the Spirit of God, 
I will always be able to reject false doctrine. Because a guide is only as good as his objective knowledge of the area that he is guiding. How many people have ever been to London before? Anybody been to London before? A few people? My knowledge of London basically extends from a Friends episode that I saw, and I know nothing else about it. Okay? Uh, there was a, a book I read, though, about memory, which is extremely fascinating to me. I don't know if it's fascinating to you, uh, but it shows you how interesting my life is. I read books on memory. Not very interesting. They say you can go to London and you can see people on scooters driving around town with maps like this one. I had somebody pick it up for me in London. Maps like this one. And they will have the bigger ones blown up and put on their scooters. And what these people are, they're not actually tourists, which you would think they're trying to you know, figure their way around. They're actually London cabbies. Okay? They're London cabbies who are studying to take a test in order to become a cabbie in London. It takes them something like 10,000 hours to do this because they are required to know something like 25,000 streets and 1,400 monuments all throughout the city so that they always know the shortest route between two points and the fastest way to get there. They, it culminates in a test that only three out of 10 uh, end up passing called the knowledge where you have to be able to be given a point and be able to describe everything that has gone on along that route to be able to become a London cabbie. Because people in London understand that with a crazy city, if you don't know objectively how to get from point A to point B, you are not a good guide. The Holy Spirit is a great guide, and he always has the objective knowledge to take us from where we are to the truth of Jesus Christ. We just need to follow him. The Holy Spirit's never going to say, uh, if you feel good, go that way, okay? If you think that's right, do this. He will say, this is what glorifies Christ, follow this path. And when you follow that, you know you have the standard for testing the truth. But if you don't claim the objectivity of the truth of the word of God, you've got nothing to test it against. I mean, it's like, you know, Siri on the phone, you know, Siri, take me to the the greatest place on earth, Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, right? If I say that, and Suri says, at this light, go wherever you feel like going, right? Take a right, take a left, you'll always end up where you want to go. Is that going to be a good direction for me? Is that a good guide for me if I want to get to a specific place? Absolutely not, because a guide is only good as its objective knowledge of getting to the place where you need to go. The Spirit always will take you to the glory of Christ and so when I am in the scriptures, which we have just found out are inspired from 2 Peter 1, I'm always going to get to where I need to go when I follow them. But you've got to proclaim the objective truth of the Bible, okay? Jesus says this, John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Psalm 119, 160, The sum of your word is truth. And if I have truth given to me by the Spirit of God, I will always be able to see the error that comes against it. Jehovah Witness, Mormons, Roman Catholics, you name it, go to Christ, and you'll be able to find the dividing line very, very quickly. Because what they want to do is talk about what's similar, and there are some similarities. But you get to Christ, and we have the unique, majestic Christ given to us from the Spirit of God, and when we follow that, we can't mess up. We cannot fail. But John does something great for us in our text, and I love the way he goes back in 1 John 4. He goes from following the guide to living it out in your life. 
verses one through three, you follow the guide who's always going to take you to Christ, always going to confess the right thing about Christ. But look at verses four through six. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever, ignores, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. See that, that distinction again? Spirit of truth, spirit of error. You will always have the Holy Spirit, spirit of truth, leading you where you need to go. I think it was Spurgeon said that when you, when you speak the truth, the majority will snore. You speak the truth, the majority of the world is going to snore because they won't get it. They don't understand what it means to live for Christ. So that's probably a good objective test. If, if the world is saying what you're saying is, is not what I want to hear, then you're probably on the right path because the world system, remember, is about lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. But the scripture system is magnifying God through Jesus Christ. And so when we start talking that way, we now have the opportunity to live confidently the truth that we believe. So let's get it down number two this way. Walk with a dependent confidence. Walk with a dependent confidence. On that previous slide, it was talking about the Spirit only communicating truth about Christ, and then when the Spirit comes into an individual, he conforms to the image of Christ. Again, he's always going to work for Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. We, by the Spirit of God, are being transformed into the image of the Lord by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Spirit wants to do. And when I have the Spirit of God in me, this text is telling me there can be great confidence. I love verse 4. You are from God and you have overcome them, the people of the world, the false teachers. Anyone coming this way, you have overcome them, meaning the past event that continues to the present. You will always overcome them. They will never be victorious. You will always be the overcomer when you go by the Spirit of God. For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I know you probably wouldn't believe it if I told you, but I was a young, punky kid when I was in like, you know, fourth and fifth grade. I was pretty annoying. I had the bowl haircut, if you remember that. Big glass. Oh, yeah, some, some bold hair, bowl haircut fans. Okay, you too, Nick? Oh. Okay, awesome. We'll share uh, horror stories later about the, the moose that you needed to get it down that way. It took time. No, that ugliness takes time. Trust me, it takes time. <laughs> I was just a young, punky kid. And we were in the neighborhood when I was growing up in Maine, and I had some, some buddies. And in Maine, <laughs> there's probably more moose than people around there. So you just didn't have many options for friends. So I was like <laughs> a fourth grader, and then like uh, my friend Anthony, who was I think four years older than me, and then my friend Matt, who had a wicked ponytail that I thought was cool at the time. Now I realize it wasn't. Um, but he was like 10 years older than I was, okay? When I walked around town and I was, you know, by myself, I wasn't such a cocky kid. But when I hung around the playground with my older friend Anthony and my older friend Matthew, I was, I was pretty confident. My confidence really didn't really depend on me because I wasn't that great in and of myself. But the people that I associated with when I was with them, I had a great confidence at that point in time. 
It's much like us with the Spirit of God. I'm not telling you to walk around with this great cocky confidence, oh, I've studied this and I know this and I can memorize that and I can do this. But if you come and you say, by the Spirit of God, I will always glorify Jesus Christ, absolutely have that confidence. If Paul can say, Galatians 5.16, if I walk by the Spirit, I will not gratify the desires of the flesh, I want you to be no less confident when you go to accountability and say, I'm struggling with this sin, but it will not reign in my life because I have the Spirit of God in me. And this Spirit in me is greater than what's on the outside. And no matter what happens, I will be victorious because Christ will be. When you think that way, that is a dependent confidence that the scriptures want us to have. But there's a note here that I would hope you would pick up. It's hard to see in the English. If you look at verse 4, little children, you are from God, and greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Those yous are plural, okay? We're talking to a group of people, meaning I'm not telling you to live a solo life trying to do this on your own, your confidence, again, goes back to what I was doing with the people you're hanging around with. I have the Spirit of God in me, and when you, plural, are together, you can have a great confidence knowing that you are attached to the truth and nothing can defeat you as a whole. But if you're individual, you have no hope of being attached to the power source. You remember, you know, anybody out there, I'll be interested to know, there's probably some science nerds out there. What's the difference between a hard magnet and a soft magnet. Anybody out there know this? Or am I going to be educational tonight too as well and teach you guys something? All right, well, look out, Bill, not a science guy. Here I go, okay? Hard magnet, hard magnet means in and of itself, it is a magnetic source, okay? That's a hard magnet. A soft magnet is something like a paperclip, which if I put a paperclip down, it's not going to be a magnetic force. But if it is in the vicinity of a hard magnet, now the paperclip acts as a soft magnet. So if we would say that the truth of God's word is the hard magnet, the Christians who are wisely attached to that will be in a chain to one another. But individual ones who want to be by themselves can experience the power from the original magnet because they're off by themselves. It's only going to be coming when you're hanging with one another, the chain link right there. Don't ever expect to be able to have this sort of power, be able to draw from the power if you think you're going to do it by yourself. To have this sort of dependent confidence means you cannot walk alone, but you must walk amongst the body of Christ in order to be able to be strengthened. Then you will have this dependent confidence. What does it look like to have dependent confidence? Go to Psalm 23. Dependent confidence. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Psalm 23. If you watch Pastor Mike, he preached this excellently at Moody Bible Institute this week at Founders Week. And just hearing it, it just, when I, when I came up with the phrase, uh, I don't think I came up with it, I said the phrase, humble, uh, dependent confidence, this just struck out to me. Listen to David, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Over and over again, David has a confidence amidst circumstances which can change, amidst enemies which can come after him, 
because he's dependent upon God who is always with him. Never will I leave you or forsake you. If you want to have this dependent confidence, it will only be attaching to the truth of God with the people of God so that you might live for the glory of God. And when you do that, you have every hope of avoiding false teaching and being able to live the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this look at your word. And God, I pray that we would live so confidently knowing that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And having this knowledge, Father, should spur us on um, to loving you better. And God, I pray that you would help us to do that no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.